only about 20 or 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that the church on the island of Crete was started and the Apostle Paul wrote a letter to Titus whom he had sent to the island of Crete to minister to that church and those churches on the island. He described the, uh, the church on Crete as young, very Cretan, dysfunctional, and divided. Well, last week, we celebrated our 10-year anniversary, and our resident historian, Rob Spinney, kind of recounted our story. He described our church. That got me to thinking, I wonder how the Apostle Paul would describe our church if he knew us. So we know how the Apostle Rob (laughs) describes us, but what about the Apostle Paul? Would he say that we're young, very American, dysfunctional, and divided. If not, could that ever happen to us? It certainly has happened to many, hasn't it? And if not, why not? How can we prevent our church from being very American, dysfunctional, and divided? Well, our sermon text this morning from the book of Titus, Paul is bringing his letter to a close, and he summarizes by giving Titus the solution. And he makes it very, very clear how Titus is to help this unhealthy and divided church on creed. And and as we study this text this morning, my prayer is that we all, elders, members, regular attenders alike, that we all will be part of promoting and protecting the health and unity of our church for the gospel and glory of Christ. So please take your copy of God's word. Find Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3, our sermon text this morning is verses 8 through 11. Titus 3, verses 8 through through 11. We dealt with eight separately last week, but it's vital to our understanding of verse 9 through 11 for this week, so we're tagging it as we continue. Titus 3, verse 8 through 11, the saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division, after warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he 
is self-condemned. That's God's word. Amen? So Paul's instructions are pretty clear, aren't they? How do you help a dysfunctional and divided church? Well, you insist on some things, verse 8. You avoid some things, verse 9. And then you deal with some things, verse 10 and 11. While while this seems to be primarily aimed at Titus and the elders there at the church on Crete, it's vital that every member of the church participates in this. So please hear this as God, through the apostles, speaking to the church, our church, of all times and all places this morning. And what I'd like for us to do today, as you'll note in the note sheet I gave you, I want us to see four instructions for promoting and protecting the health and the unity of the church. Four instructions for promoting and protecting the health and unity of the church. Number one, in verse eight, Paul tells Titus, insist on sound doctrine. Insist on sound doctrine. Doctrine. Please read again in verse 8. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things. What things? The things that just came before, where Paul had articulated the gospel of Jesus Christ. That it is through Jesus that we have the grace of God that saves us from sin, and that it is the work of God, not our works, that save us. It's God's work and Jesus' work of righteousness, not our works of righteousness, that bring us into a right relationship with God. He says, insist on these things. Why? At the end of verse 8, because these things are excellent and profitable for people. You see, what the church needs... What the dysfunctional and divided church of all times and all places needs is not more programs, but sound doctrine. What we need, ever how unified or divided we are right now, what we need moving forward is sound doctrine, friends. Jesus said this about every one of those who follow God and all of the church of God of all time. It is written, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What we need for spiritual health is spiritual food. We need sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy and true. Reliable, the solid rock of Jesus Christ and his person and work. When Paul met with the elders at the church at Ephesus, not on Crete, but around the same time Paul traveled all over that part of the world, he met with the elders on a major city called Ephesus. He called them together. He told them that he was about to leave, and he said this to them. Basically, his parting words. 
Guys, here's what I want you to remember. The most important thing you can remember is this. You ready? Acts chapter 20. You yourselves know how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was possible, uh, profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul told those elders, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert and remember that I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who were sanctified. Do you see how Paul said, when I was with you, I taught you day and night. I didn't hold back anything in the whole counsel of God from you, but I declared it to you. And now when I'm leaving, I'm telling you, elders, that's what the church needs. I commend you to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is the gospel. And it's going to build you up. To be healthy and unified, this church, the church in Ephesus, the church on the island of Crete, every local church must have elders who insist on sound doctrine. And that's been Paul's emphasis throughout this entire letter. Have you noticed it? Just look at the few pages that make up our little book of Titus. Look back at chapter 1, verse 5. Paul has pressed on this about five different times. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 5, look at this. It's why I left you in Crete, so that you will appoint elders in every town. Look at verse 9. What are these elders supposed to be? Good-looking fellas, young, charismatic. No, no, no. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. That's what the church needs to be healthy. This one and every other one. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. One more time. Paul says, but as for you, do what? Teach. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Look at the end of that chapter, chapter 2, verse 15. Declare these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one disregard you. Look at chapter 3, verse 8. I want you to what? Insist on these things. The Apostle Paul knows what the church needs. He needs, the church needs elders who hold firm, teach, declare, exhort, rebuke, and insist 
on sound doctrine. Why? Because look there at the end of verse 8. These things are excellent and profitable. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable to make us into the people that God intends for his church to be. But that's not what people are looking for, is it? So Paul told Timothy, preach the word. Do it when it's popular and when it's unpopular, because there's coming a time when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves podcasts, teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. For this church to be healthy and unified, we must insist on sound doctrine. That's why our church is committed to the sequential exposition of Scripture. For 10 years now, we have been preaching through books of the Bible, and it's one of my favorite things is to look at that chart at the bottom of the stairs that looks like a periodic table that shows the 66 books of the Bible, and maybe you saw it and you thought, what in the world is that? But you'll see little numbers up there, and they'll go from New Testament to Old Testament to history to epistle to prophecy to poetry. And what we have done for 10 years by God's grace is preach through 25 books of the Bible so far. And we end Titus next week. And guess what's next? 1 Corinthians. We're going to dive into a good study of 1 Corinthians. And we're just going to talk about all kinds of issues that come up practically in the life of the church and the Christian. 1 Corinthians. going to be fantastic. It's next. Let's see what the Lord has for us. Insist on sound doctrine. Will you say, okay, I'm at a church who insists on sound doctrine. But I'm not the teacher. The application of this for every member in this room is that to be healthy and unified as a church member, you need to insist on sound doctrine for you and your family. Now look, there's a lot of good stuff out there. But just like when you sit down at a meal, you need healthy food as well as dessert. Okay? So insist on sound doctrine for you and your kids. And that looks like reading God's word, meditating on God's word. That looks like memorizing God's word. That looks like what... Jason read a little bit earlier, studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed, but is able to rightly divide the truth. That looks like being a Berean who received the word with all eagerness and examined the scriptures, uh uh-oh, daily to see if these things were so. Insist on sound doctrine. Number two, but, do you see that but in verse nine? That's why you have to understand verse eight before you can understand verse nine. That little conjunction links the two. 
Did you notice what it says in verse 8? Insist on these things, sound doctrine, that blows out into godliness and good works. Why? Because it is, two words, excellent and profitable. Verse 9, clear contrast. But avoid these things because they are, look how verse 9 ends, because they are unprofitable and worthless. So in verse 9, we have four errors to be avoided. Verse 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. Why? For they are unprofitable and worthless. Now, these four errors were very common in those days. You might not understand what they mean. It might have taken me quite a while this week to figure out exactly what they mean. And we still have more questions about them than we do specific answers. But they were very common to those Christians today. If you would have said foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels, they would be like, yeah, I know about those. They're going around the church all over the place. Paul wrote to Timothy and Titus about these four things, among other things. All four of these issues are in 1 Timothy, and two of these issues are in 2 Timothy. So what are they? Number one, what are the four errors that we're supposed to avoid? Well, all of them fall under the category of false doctrine. Just like we're to insist on sound doctrine, we should avoid false doctrine, unreliable, unhealthy doctrine. Number one, foolish controversies. So controversies is the same word for questions or debates. So you could say foolish debates or foolish questions. It's in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 23, if you'd like to look at that later. Honestly, we do not know what the specific controversies being argued are, but we, what we do know is that they are what? Foolish. Do you see that in verse 9? They're not just controversies, they're foolish controversies. And we also know that they're unprofitable and worthless. Which means that they're not sound doctrine. Which means that you wouldn't want to build your faith on that. Because it's the shifting sand that may or may not be true. But if you want the rock, you need sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. Not these foolish controversies. Number two, genealogies. Okay, well, genealogies are really interesting. Maybe some of you have done your own family tree online. But what they were doing back there without the technology that we have today is they were speculating that there is some kind of religious and spiritual significance for those who are descendant from certain people. What people? Well, probably Old Testament heroes like Moses or Abraham or maybe Joshua. You know, I'm the 42nd cousin of Joshua, which makes me... uh, So we, we don't know that he talks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. He mentions genealogies there. 
We don't know what specific family trees are being emphasized. But what we do know is this. Salvation does not come through your biological family. It doesn't matter who your daddy is or who your great-great-great-grandfather is. Salvation does not come through your biological family. In fact, only condemnation does. We're all the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve, and we're all born sinners outside the garden, under the curse, separated from God, and condemned under the penalty of death. That's what we get from our biological connections. But what we do know from Titus and the rest of the Bible is that salvation, though it doesn't come from our biology, it does come by grace through faith in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. But they weren't emphasizing that. They were getting caught up in their family genealogy. The third error to avoid, dissensions. It's the word for strife, specifically verbal conflicts between people. It's mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3, if you want to look at that later. We do not know what the specific doctrine is that's causing dissension, but likely genealogies and something about the law, right? Because that's the context here. What we do know is if we were to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, that this whole concept of dissensions is mentioned as a different doctrine, one that, quote, does not agree with the sound words of Jesus, and that this different doctrine, this strife and dissension, creates chaos in the church. Foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and then the fourth error to be avoided, according to Titus 3.9, is quarrels about the law. I love this. Dig around a little bit in the original language, and you'll find out that quarrels is the same word for battles. It's like military battles, except on the verbal level. These guys are going to war, and what are they going to war about? The law. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, you can read about that later. We do not know specifically what aspects of the law, which of the commandments specifically they were emphasizing or teaching, quarreling and fighting about. We don't know specifically. But what we do know from this letter, Titus chapter 1, verse 10 through 16, is that there was a certain group of people on the island of Crete called the circumcision party. Circumcision, taking them back to their Jewish roots, and they were the ones who were saying, you can only be righteous and pure before God if you keep the law. Or to say it a different way, if you want to be saved... You must obey God's law. Friends, God's law is perfect. It is righteous. And it is good. But here's what the Bible says about it. 
by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. Since, through the law, comes the knowledge of sin. But, now, the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Their emphasis on the good, pure, right law of God was a false gospel. Because we can never be saved by our works of righteousness. That's what Paul had just written to Titus in chapter 3. Look at it there. Chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. What's the next word? Not. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see, we can never be righteous before God by doing all the right things. That's what religion says. Religion says you have to keep the law to be righteous before God. But the gospel says you can't keep the law. You haven't kept the law. You are indeed a lawbreaker. But... God is merciful and gracious and made a way for your penalty of death, your condemnation to be placed on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all who will come to him by faith will be two things. Number one, forgiven. Don't you love the word forgiven? Forgiven of our law-breaking crimes and we get the gift of the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. It's a righteousness that's alien to us, outside of us, that is eternal and given to us by grace. Insist on sound doctrine. Avoid false doctrine because it is, what? Unprofitable and worthless. It's not going to do you any good. So for the church on Crete, the false doctrine that they were supposed to avoid were foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. But not so much for us, is it? I mean, we, we understand this, the whole, that most religions here in America emphasize works. We, we recognize that as a false gospel that's not good news that's bad news trying to work our way to heaven you never you'd never be able to do it never know if you got it or not but what are the false doctrines that threaten you and our church and your kids well just recently if you were not here for rob's very good sermon on expressive individualism i would encourage you to go back and listen to that or take one of the books that we provide uh downstairs called uh 
A Strange New World by Carl Truman. Expressive individualism is one of the greatest threats a false doctrine that is a threatening the church, everybody of every age, and especially those of you who are young adults, teenagers, and kids. Expressive individualism is the culture that makes self, self-identification, what I feel, what I believe about myself, the ultimate authority for my life. Avoid it. Insist on sound doctrine. Avoid false doctrine. But I want you to read verse 9 again. And I'll give you the third instruction for promoting and protecting a health, the health and unity of the church. Read verse 9 again. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So clearly, we're supposed to avoid false doctrine. You're thinking to yourself, I didn't have to come to church to know that one. I'm supposed to avoid false doctrine. Took you a long time to come up with that one this week, huh? <laughs> but what this text emphasizes is avoiding controversies, dissensions, and quarrels about doctrine as well. Do you see that? Do you see the emphasis? It only mentions two specific things, the law and genealogies. But the law and genealogies is surrounded by a whole bunch of language about controversies, dissensions, and quarrels. Think about that just for a moment. In fact, I'm going to push pause here because I think this is something that our church really needs. I know it is for me. Controversies acknowledges that doctrine is deep and can be thought-provoking and controversial. Doctrine, truth, can be understood just as quickly as it can be misunderstood. Right? False doctrine isn't always obvious. It doesn't carry a label. This is false. Don't believe it. False teachers don't wear name tags. Hey, don't listen to the thing I say. I'm just selling you a bunch of goods, trying to make some money here. It sounds true. Look at the words dissensions, strifes, and quarrels. That acknowledges that pastors like Titus and members of the church, such as ourselves, often discuss doctrine and disagree about doctrinal things, don't we? And sometimes those disagreements end up in, well, what are the words? Strife, dissensions, and quarrels. Pretty much all-out military battles. So Paul encourages Titus and the church there and here to avoid 
Number three, arguments about doctrine. Don't just avoid false doctrine, but avoid arguments about doctrine. Avoid debating and engaging the false teachers on their terms because it's unprofitable and worthless. Now listen, friends. The sheer volume of exhortations in the New Testament about this issue teach us that quarreling about doctrine was a big deal in the church. And if you've been around church a long time, it's a big deal now, too. I'm going to read some. Just listen to this. You don't have to try to turn there. Romans 14, 1. As for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. But don't quarrel over opinions. 1 Timothy 2. I desire that in every place men should pray, lifting holy hands, without anger or quarreling. 1 Timothy 6. He speaks about one who is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He says about him, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, and evil suspicions. 2 Timothy chapter 2, charge them before God, serious, not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. 2 Timothy 2.23 Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Titus 2 Remind the church to do what? Pardon me, Titus 3, verse 2 Remind the church to do what? Speak evil of no one. Avoid quarreling to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. James 4, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? We could go on. The point is this, quarreling about doctrine is an issue for the church. So Paul says, avoid arguing about doctrine. Now listen, avoiding arguing about doctrine is not avoiding questions about doctrine. Someone might say about someone who's thinking deeply about some particular doctrine, you just think too much. Think too much? Are you crazy? You can't think too much. Doctrine is as deep as God himself. And there's a beauty at every level. Listen, you can pick up a a leaf, something as simple as a leaf, And you can enjoy the beauty of that leaf on the surface level, or you can put it under a microscope and see the the intricacies of the fiber network down to the cellular level. And so true with God. You can see the beauty of God on the surface level, but the, the more 
you deep, uh, dive into the knowledge, the theology, the knowledge and study of God, the more beautiful he gets, friends. And the truth is, if you don't have deep questions about God and the Bible, you probably haven't thought very much. So Christians like us, we wrestle with issues that, that are important like creation and eschatology, like Sabbath and spiritual gifts, like baptism and the Lord's Supper, like Calvinism and Arminianism. Friends, don't be afraid of questions. Questions lead to growth and wonder is the essence of worship. But avoid arguments about doctrine. Avoiding arguments, friends, whether it's about spiritual gifts or or. Your view of immersion versus your Presbyterian brother's uh, view of sprinkling. Credo versus pedo baptism. Avoiding arguments is not avoiding discussions about doctrine. Discussing doctrine is one of the ways that we grow and learn, isn't it? But discussing doctrine doctrine often becomes disagreeing over doctrine, which can quickly deteriorate into arguing about doctrine. How many of you love the works of C.S. Lewis? C.S. Lewis is a brilliant thinker and makes convincing arguments about just about anything he touches, especially the faith. Michael Ward explains in an article that, quote, in his early 30s, C.S. Lewis realized he was in danger of becoming, quote, a hardened bigot shouting everyone down until he had no friends left. He wrote to his friend, you have no idea how much of the time I spend just hating People with whom I disagree. C.S. Lewis. But Ward explains in his post that as Lewis grew and matured in the faith, he learned to love controversy and debate, but also learned how to conduct it without personal animus. He learned, quote, to distinguish the man from the man's opinions, and he knew the difference between an argument and a quarrel. His twin passions were people and arguments. But he did not make the mistake of confusing. What Lewis 
learned was the art of disagreement. So how do we discuss difficult doctrines, doctrines that have really good questions about them, doctrines that someone like John MacArthur and R.C. Sproul can't agree over? How do we discuss difficult doctrines, even disagree over difficult doctrines, and still remain united? Answer, the art of disagreement. May I quickly give you four. Four points about the art of disagreement. Number one, be humble. Be humble. Listen, the truth is, if you're saved by the grace of God, you need to be humble all the time anyway, and the Holy Spirit of God is sanctifying you, making you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That ought to make us all humble because we're just a work in progress. And here's the truth. You're just doing your best to get this truth from Scripture right. And remember, you could be wrong. Hey, you've been wrong before. You'll be wrong again. I used to argue against some of the things that I now love. Don't just be humble about yourself, but be humble about this doctrine. If real Christians disagree about it, if great theologians don't come to an agreement, it's not a simple issue. You might think it's simple, but that's probably because we haven't thought about it as much as they have. Be humble about this. God is immense. His glory is magnificent. And we've barely... Scratch the surface. Be humble. Number two, be scriptural. Listen, when you're talking with someone, if you hear yourself saying things like, well, listen, I think, or my opinion about that, take it, ball it up, throw it in the trash where it belongs. Who cares what your opinion is? Who cares what I think? This is how I talk to my non-Christian neighbors or any of you in council all the time. It doesn't matter what I think. What we want to know is the authority of God's word. So keep taking it back to that. This is what God's word teaches. Now, understanding that, that's a whole different story. But look, we've got this, we've got this, we've got this, and we've got this. and, And there's going to be a trajectory of truth somewhere in here. This probably only explains about half of it. Maybe this only uh, 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 kind of colors it a little bit. But in all of the whole counsel of God, we can come up with sound doctrine. The scriptures are clear. So do your best to present yourself as one who is approved, a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed, but is able to what? Rightly divide your philosophies and your thoughts about various issues. No. Rightly divide the word of truth. So define words and use scripture. Number two, be humble, be scriptural. Number three, be gracious. Be gracious, friends. Listen, The love of God for us, the sacrificial love of Jesus for every one of us demands that we love our neighbors more than we love being right. 
didn't our mothers teach us it is more important to be kind than right? Now, I understand we've got to be stand on the truth. But what we're talking about here are real issues that are not so easy to figure out that end up in disagreements with good people within the church. Be gracious. We need to love the person more than our opinions. And so, Zach read for us this morning that we need to, did you hear that? With all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, spirit, Lord, faith, baptism, God, and Father of all. But we've got to fight for that unity. Work for it. Pray for it. Fight for it in your own soul. Be gracious. We could go to a hundred different scriptures this morning, but I'm, I'm pushing pause here. And you know what? I don't usually do this very often to just really drill down on a on a topic that comes out of the text because this is important for Christians like us who really love God's truth and really love doctrine. We need to be humble, be scriptural, and be gracious as we talk to people about it. Be gracious. With non-Christians, here's what Peter says when you're talking about issues. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason of the hope that is in you, yet, he didn't just leave it there. He said, yet, do it with gentleness and respect. To your opponents, opponents, the the false teachers, 2 Timothy 2, the Lord's servant, that's People like me, Titus, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will they're a false teacher they're hopeless no god just might you use you his truth and your gentleness to turn them around We could go on. I think you get the point. So slow down, stay calm. It's a fool who gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man holds it back. It's a hot-tempered man, Proverbs says, that stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Don't just talk. Listen. That's what James says. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be what? Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not. Produce the righteousness of God. Two ears, one mouth, right? Listen twice as much as you talk, friends. That's for me, too. 
be gracious. Gavin Ortland said this, Go out of your way to show love and respect to the other person, even when that person infuriates you. Quote, The unity of the church was so valuable to Jesus that he died for it. If we care about sound theology, let us care about unity as well. (laughs) Be humble, be scriptural, be gracious, and then be united. Be united in the gospel. Alistair Begg, great accent, good golfer, phenomenal preacher. Alistair Begg famously says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Unity in the gospel. Christians unite around the main thing, and what is the main thing? It's the cross, it's the person of the work of Jesus Christ. If you want to unite, unite around the Apostles' Creed or some of the great historic confessions of the faith. Unite around the gospel. Listen, you've probably heard that helpful statement that came out of the German Reformation. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, diversity. In all things, love. And non-essential does not mean unimportant. I have lots and lots to talk about with that, but we've got to go. Number one, insist on sound doctrine. Number two, avoid false doctrine. Number three, avoid arguments about doctrine. They're just as worthless and unprofitable as false doctrine. So there is a way to talk and discuss without quarreling. It's the art of disagreement or of discussion. Number four, when that doesn't work, (laughs) verse 10. Verse 10, as for a person who stirs up division, After warning him once, then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful. He is self-condemned. As we have little time left to explore this deeply, let me just say a few things. First of all, if you read this out of context, then you might think this instruction is about any kind of division in the church. And guess what? Still works. Divide over anything, the apostle says we need to deal with it. Number four, deal with division. Jesus saw his church as so valuable that he died to unite it. Not just to save it, but to unite it. But keep it in context, and I think it's very natural and logical for us to understand what this division is about, right? 
The division is not about the kind of music that the church was playing then, though that divides many churches. The, the, the division here is about this doctrine that was being promoted. And here is someone who is stirring up division. What do you do with that person? Just love them? Just let them do their thing? No. Love them, yes, but don't let them do their thing. Paul says deal with it. Churches must deal with those who promote false doctrine because false doctrine divides the church and sound doctrine unites the church. So Paul explains who, how, and why we are to deal with division. Very quickly, verse 10, notice who Paul's talking about. The person who stirs up division. That's two words, lots of words in English, two words in Greek. Here's the Greek words, heretical man. Heretical means to to divide up into sections. It didn't automatically have that connotation of, of false doctrine like it does now, but it just meant to divide stuff up. And so here is the one, quote, who is stirring up division. And the Greek is the heretical man. He is dividing people along lines of his doctrine. And he's choosing to set himself against the apostolic doctrine. And as a result, he and the other in the circumcision party in Titus chapter 1, verse 11... Paul says this, they must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families. Must be silenced. That's Bible. Deal with it. Okay, notice how. How? How do you deal with it? Duct tape? No. Paul says you're supposed to deal with this divisive person in two ways. Step number one, warn him. How many times? Once twice, three times, no, once, twice. Warn him twice. And the goal of that warning is what we read early. It's to hopefully, prayerfully, patiently, graciously turn that individual from error back to the truth of the gospel in gentleness and love. And after you warn him twice, then... Have nothing to do with him. Have nothing to do with him. That word, one word. Have nothing to do with him, one word. Reject. Dismiss. You stand against him the way he stands against the truth. It's what we call excommunication. It's removing him from the church... Because he will not submit to the church and he is doing damage to the church. Now this, by the way, is not gender specific. The heretical man is the heretical person. Could be man or woman. Let's not just blame the guys for this. But excommunication here on the grounds of false doctrine and not just that you didn't know the truth. There's a whole lot of truth that I don't know, but that doesn't mean you should excommunicate me. Stop it. Right? It's the person who persists in it, the person who stirs up division over it. That person, talk to him, warn him. Try to persuade him. But if he won't listen, put him out. Reject him. Why? 
We see the who, we see the how, we see the why. Verse 11. Because we know some things. Here's three things that you know about this person. He is warped, sinful, self-condemned. He's warped. He's been perverted and corrupted by his doctrine. This tense of the verb means he's done it to himself, and he's in a settled state now. And he proves it because he refuses to listen to the warning. He is sinning. That's in the present tense. He continues to miss the mark. He continues to go out of the bounds and lead others out of the bounds with him. So reject him. And he is self-condemned. He brought this condemnation on himself. Church discipline. Even just from this very short little sentence, church discipline we see is always done in love. With patience and grace. For the purpose of repentance and restoration. And if they refuse to repent, then what? Then excommunication protects the health and the witness of the church of Jesus Christ. I don't know what the Apostle Paul would write about us, but I do know from this text what we need to do ongoing into the future to promote and protect the health and the unity of our church. What do we need to do? We need to insist on sound doctrine. We need to avoid false doctrine. We need to avoid arguing about doctrine. And we need to deal with division. And may we all give ourselves to these things for the gospel and the glory of Christ. Let's pray. Well, Father, I thank you that you have called a people out of darkness and into light, and I thank you that by your sweet grace and abundant mercy, you have called many in this room to yourself. The Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you loved your church so much that you gave your life to purchase your church. And you shed your blood to unite your church. May we take the unity of our church and the health of our church as seriously as you do. May we sacrifice our personal opinions and agendas on the altar of the glory of love and unity. And may we do it on the solid rock, the sound doctrine of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Please glorify yourself through this. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.